Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Today's episode is part two of our Commander Legends review. So both of these parts are looking only at the first um, set of legends that Wizards had given us with the blurbs. Well, last episode, we really started diving into the characters, um, looking at uh, kind of just going through them alphabetically. And we ended up at kind of an interesting spot. We ended up bringing us to Krark, who is a goblin and one of our favorite characters to get to really discuss. So it seemed like a pretty natural place to start today's episode. So without further ado, here is part two of Commander Legends discussion with both Alex and Hobbs. So the next one is the most important one in this whole document. Entire thing. In the entire thing, because this is Crark the Thumbless. There's so much I love about this, but you go first. There is everything to love about this. Crark is a character that we want to do a full goblin profile, but we never have had enough story. I mean, we we we're you and Joe hit on him in kind of the gambler's fallacy a little bit, I believe, right? It was more talking about the Quark clan. The Quark clan and his thumb. Um yeah. But but the idea is we actually had a card in mirrored in Kark's thumb, um, which was this idea basically that his thumb was this trinket that lets you reflip cards. Um, yeah, and then reflip coins. Yeah, reflip coins. Sorry, yeah, yeah, reflip coins. And then we come along and we get now we know about Kark because he is like we've talked about Slobad a lot on here, and Slobad was part of his clan. This clan came about because Kark basically suggested that Mirrodin... So, I mean, this is an example of, like, a smart goblin that also was not necessarily believed, um, but that, you know, that there was this core to Mirrodin, a core of metal, right? Like, that the, the planet... I mean, the plane was kind yeah. of, like, hollow, and he went down into this. this. We know that part about it. That is what led to the development of his clan of fanatics that followed him. And this is so, also a good example of intelligence and wisdom not always being the same thing. Yes, but exactly. And he's a bad oh, gambler. Is what yeah, we, he's a bad gambler. But like, what we know. it goes to, so after Quark's thumb came out, which, which was apparently supposed to be a lucky thing, and I believe the flavor text for that one even was, I can think of one goblin it wasn't so lucky for. Yep, it is. Mm-hmm. And then there was a uncard um, when they did Unhinged, and they had dice rolling as a theme. Mm-hmm. And so that one allowed you to re-roll dice. And it was called Quark's Other Thumb. With the flavor text, Quark was the kind of goblin who'd lose his thumb in a wager and come right back with double or nothing. So they had that. Then they print Quark the Thumbless, and his flavor text is double or nothing. Which is amazing to me that, at least in the flavor text, is the space where they can do this. They actually printed a black border card that referenced story from a silver bordered card right and on top of that it really it also gave us a little bit more about like basically this idea was his whole journey was because he then bet a third thumb yeah he wanted to get his lucky thumb back his lucky thumb which was the first one so he he bet his friend uh derg derg that he he bet derg a thumb that he could walk to the center of mirrodin and back and I love this sentence. This is the best sentence ever. Dirk pointed out that Quark didn't have any thumbs left, but Quark said that he was good for it. Right? It's like, to me, <laughs> I have said multiple times, I still need an official canon that he only... Now, we have Kark's thumb and Kark's other thumb, but yeah. does he have an other other thumb? Like, do I we don't... know that he only had two? 
I, maybe he was planning to bring somebody else's thumb. I don't know. Or or he has it. Or he had a third thumb. No, <laughs> we don't know how goblin math works. Oh, uh, we don't know how he's counting his feet. Yeah, I know. Maybe but he went. He did win his back. But we don't know because he won it back. Yeah, he traveled. Went to, like not only did this, he also wrote a book. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> about like, his journey. And Quirk wore the thumb around his neck along with his other good luck charms until the end of his days, which wasn't very long as the journey got him executed for heresy. It's so amazing. Like, we have a goblin who wrote a book yeah. to get a thumb after, back. After he <laughs> died, a religion known as the Cult of Quirk was formed around his writings. So he, yeah, like you're saying, he wrote a book and it founded a religion. Yeah. And also what's interesting, too, about this, given that his uh, clan is artificers, Right. Like they're, you know, that's kind of the whole thing. Like they, what they followed in his writings was a lot about like his mechanisms or his machinations or, or kind of the metal piece of what he found. Right. The, in, mm -hmm. in Oxida. Yeah. Um, and this too talks about the, you know, the spreading the word of the secret world inside of Mirrodin, which is just, I don't know why it's just occurring to me is, is potentially inspired by a reference to, was it journey to the center of the earth? Was that Jules Verne? It is Jules Verne. Mm -hmm. Like early, one of the sort of quasi early science fiction people. Like that, that's super cool. <laughs> so what I do think too, though, is is Clark is is a wizard. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. He's a goblin wizard. He's a goblin wizard, right? Like we don't have a ton of those. We have some. I mean, we literally have goblin wizard and we have yeah, some wizardry in. Yeah. And we have some wizardry on uh, Ravnica. But, uh, you know, it, goblins are artificers, right? Especially on Mirrodin. I mean, they have the ironworks that are Which, named after him. You know what? Probably contributes to his execution for heresy. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why he's, he's a wizard. Like, I, this story. And this card gave us so much. So good. And also one important thing to to note, um, and somebody pointed this out um, in our Discord, the sun and the landscape behind Kark the Thumbless looks Phyrexianized. It does. He kind so of does too a little bit. There is that version of the red sun. If you look at some of the, the mountains that come from like New Phyrexia versus the ones that we have um, from previously when we've seen Oxida, um, those spires or the, you know the kind of the stuff in the background, if you go look at the art, the pointiness of kind of all of that and the, the way that it looks and the way that the sun is actually depicted with the, the ring around it is how is it, it more closely corresponds to the mountains that we get in New Phyrexia. So... I'm just like he he died before that whole thing started, but right. that doesn't necessarily mean he stayed dead. I well, guess I, we'll, that, well, I mean, because we have, I mean, like, so you know, this is oh well, we're gonna just we're going I conspiracy. Need, and I need, I need a storyline of Quark like annoying well, the hell out of of um Glissa. No, the red oh. the red traitor. Oh, Urbrask. Urbrask, yeah. Well, just imagine like Urbrask. <laughs> So the reason I'm bringing this up is because we have zombie Glissa. Glissa, the traitor, is a zombie, right? She is a zombie elf. We have her. Could Kark be coming back? And does that open up any way for Slowbad? Just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, though, that, that this art really... Yeah. 
and I, we're deep in the weeds of Don't, conspiracies yeah. right now. Like, but I will say, I, I'm going to could it, could it. I'm gonna try to find it because there was definitely somebody posted the artwork, and I believe it's in our Discord of the mountains. And there is a very, it very clearly looks to me like we are talking, um, that we are talking art from Phyrexian, not from, uh, not from the original Meriden. That's all I'm saying. So. All right. Well, we talk about, oh man, I'm, am I just gonna be bad with names this morning? Lisa? 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 Probably yeah, I, Asa, Shroud of Dusk. Yep. Um, so just as a real quick, this is a cool, and I guess I wasn't around with the original Innistrad, so I don't know if there's a story referencing her, but in the Return to Innistrad, um, so Lissa is a black-white angel. Um, so, but they're talking yep. about, the in, mm -hmm. in on Innistrad, there was, we had the blue-red, sorry, the white-red, the white-blue, and the white-green angels, these these three angels that kind of protected things, and then Avacyn. And there was some storyline talking about how they're used before Avacyn was created, because Avacyn was made by, um, wow, Soren. Totally Soren, thank you. <laughs> uh, just so many names this morning, I guess. Yeah, so, we're, yeah, made, we're we're in the need names now. So before Avacyn was made by Soren, there was these four angels, one all of them white, and then splashing into all four colors, but the white black was and their angels were like protecting humanity that was what they did that was their goal and each of them had a lesser flight of angels to kind of contribute to their goal to defend humanity but each in their own methods and and so basically there has always been known that there was a fourth sister yes and we did not you know when when we get abyssin um in the original innistrad block all we know is that the fourth sister is not there, right? Yeah, and, and she is not depicted on a card. May or may not. We may or may not have even had a name. We did not have a name because actually when this card was spoiled, we didn't, I mean, theoretically, we did not know for sure until this blurb came out. Now, she is carrying a very clear, like, Innistrad-based weapon. And she's in the colors of the one that we were missing. Before we got this blurb, it was assumed, but we didn't, I mean, like, we never had a name for the fourth sister. So this kind of really brought it in. So this was this was one of those ones that was just really, really just awesome to have. Yes. So um, it was, it's really cool to fill in, like, talking about yeah. kind of filling in that story, those story gaps. So uh, I want to mention Malcolm real quick because we mentioned Breaches. And it's cool because Malcolm is a siren pirate. And what's cool is that they have partner again. And his best friend, who he's never away from, is is Breaches. Like, it is this, we see a relationship again with Goblin. Not just two goblins, which is what we tend to think of, right? We tend to think of the goblins as, you know, we even talk about the communal aspect in some ways. Um, Somebody just posted... Uh, a cool thing about Lorwyn Shadowmoor was the Bogarts because we talk about the a lot we talk about on here is the racist elves in that, but the the goblins are actually seen as very communal, almost like socialist in that, like they're you're you're supposed to share, which is kind of different than goblins. But we think of them as being familial in that way, which we've talked a lot about. But this is goblins having relationships with others, 
Yeah, I mean, and this Malcolm is, is important. You talk about it in in the color pie span too. It's a blue and a red character who personality wise should be very different, like being best friends and getting along, like good buddies. Because you know sometimes those differences make for for a good partnership. Um, Numa, real quick, is a Jiraga relevant because Numa is the one who exiled Nissa. Um, and, you know, that kind of led her down the path that has been basically how we saw her on Lorwyn, and then she's been retconned to kind of take out some of the more problematic elements of potentially her backstory. Um, but this is kind of this idea that she was exiled from Zendikar, which is what led to her... Well, she was exiled from the Jiraga. And that is part of what led to her spark, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, well, she went on a journey herself to go figure out why the royal was happening, because that was the the elves believed that it was the animists' fault, basically that they had, that Zendikar was uh, offended or that it was hurt by the animists. When in reality, it was kind of the other way around that Zendikar was was in pain because of the Eldrazi. And the animists were the only ones who could really like connect with the plane. And so Nyssa went to try to figure out why the plane was in pain. And then her mind accidentally brushed up against Emrakul's and that trauma caused her to spark. Poor Emrakul. Um, so <laughs> I have lots of theories on Emrakul. Anyway, uh, we're going to, we have to mention, I feel like if we don't mention Nimrus, like Chase leaves the show. That's that's fair. We don't want that to happen because they Nimrus is part of the click of fairies. Yep. <laughs> that leads a click. I don't know. Is that a specific click that we know of? I'm not um, sure. But they're fiercely loyal to Una, um, and this is also a male fairy that you know. I don't know if we talk as much about that in general. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of think of it like goblins. We almost never have female goblins that are at least gendered. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, maybe this is me. I tend to think of fairies as the almost opposite of that. That's, yeah. That they tend to be gendered that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was a, that was interesting to me. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, it, just the idea that this is kind of uh, basically, this is a, a trickster. And you know, something that I just noticed was that, Creature type is fairy knight. Knight, yeah. Interesting. On a steed. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that, that yeah. makes me on a <laughs> looking beetle some, thing. Some, some sort of winged beetle steed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and he basically um uses his uh um. This goes back to the dream world when we talk about kind of Lorwyn because they're like they're harvesting basically dreams. Yep, and that was Nimrus's job was to exhaust humanoids so that they would sleep deeper, and then you could steal more dreams from them. And mischief is its own reward is an amazing flavor text. That's great flavor text. There's a lot of these that have a lot of text on them, and so they had like one line for flavor text. So they had like only a handful of words, and all of them that we've talked about so far have used that space very well. So no, see, we are definitely on the longer side because this has just been so just exciting. I had a, only a couple of the end ones, but uh, Radiant has to I, be mentioned. I did want to talk about Prava first, very okay. briefly. No, that's because cool. Prava also references Alicia, 
which was a vampire from one of the previous commander decks. These both, I have no mention of plain as far as I can tell. I'm pretty sure that these both are referencing a Roman plane that we haven't oh, been to yet. I mean, Steel Legion, the yeah. artwork, Um, yeah. I mean, we've had legions, but yeah. like this does clearly seem to be referencing. Okay, that's good yeah. to know. Yeah, so like that's that just a again. fun little, a little yep. thing there. And then Radiant. We have Radiant. to talk about Radiant because in my notes... <clears throat> Yep. Excuse to call Urza the worst. That See, that is okay. So this exact is quote from my notes. <laughs> um, I mean, this also references the Planeswalker Sarah, um, mm-hmm. and we know of Sarah's angel, <laughs> um, because the idea was, and that was way back, right, right before yeah, the story, that was right. Before so, the story. but we did get Sarah, and Sarah was an angel that then created angels. Well, Sarah, our angels. Sarah was a Planeswalker who sorry, created a Planeswalker, angels. right. That's that is a point of contention for some people in the community too. The way that the story, lore is written right now, angels in in the universe do not cannot become planeswalkers because they don't have souls or something. I, I can't remember the exact. There is a, there was this whole thing we had never had an we, yeah we had never had an angel planeswalker right like that was and it was like this belief that angels couldn't be, even though story wise we had known Sarah was, but it was very. Yeah, and I think because it was... that's how they explain it is that well, angels are constructs and therefore can't have native sparks because like Karn, right? Doesn't so, have his spark. Karn has had two other people's sparks, and that was also old sparks. Well, one old spark, one new spark. Right, right. But but either way, that like an innate spark versus a constructed. We haven't had a new constructed since the mending. Well, I don't right? think we've ever had a constructed spark. They've always been innate in living beings they've been handed around which we'll get to in the next character that's true okay that is the spark that karn had for a little while because it's the spark that it's suggested pretty strongly it's the spark that urza had i don't think urza actually had his own spark right anyway anyway, radiant is important because radiant in some ways is is uh storyline you know radiant basically is Sarah had her realm, right? Like, that's where we get Sarah's sanctum from. It was a created plane, which we've talked about artificial planes on here before. And when Sarah left, basically, Radiant was the one in charge. Um, it, you know, and they... It, slowly, the Phyrexians invaded while she was there, even though she was, like, unwavering. Um, and what's kind of cool is... Uh, Radiance, divine light, and the magical power of Sarah's realm fuel the power stone at the heart of the Weatherlight. Yes. Um, and this gets back to when we had ships that could travel between planes. Yes. Or non-organic and, material. Yep. And this is why the the reason, it, the excuse of this to call her is the worst, because he was part of, it's, you know, the, the Phyrexians invaded and the realm was going to collect, you know, so Skyship Weatherlight intervened, rescuing those who wished to evacuate. But when the last humans and angels made good their escape, the plane collapsed. Didn't really talk about the fact that Urza was just like, yoink, and that's how it became the power stone to fuel the Weatherlight. Right. Urza was just like, yeah, I'm going to take this plane of goodness and turn it into an energy source. If it makes you feel any better, I already had um, a way to bring Urza into this coming up, too. Oh, there's another one. I, yeah. I also have a note that just says Urza is the worst under that one. Yeah. I- <laughs> that one's the worst. That so, one's about the event. We have Rebecca. 
who is also yes. from um, ancient Dominaria during the Thran Empire. Mm-hmm. Which, hey, I just think this is cool because um, we get this, to talk about the Thran. Because we get to talk about the Thran. The, the Thran was is really cool. And there's just a book literally called The Thran from from back then. But there's a lot of really interesting things. Like they didn't have a concept of mana having color. <laughs> Like that was that was a thing that they didn't understand at the time because this was way way back in Dominaria's history. Um, they were a very artifact driven culture, um, and Rebek was was part of that. And she's actually the one who brought Yogmoth to their capital to try to help um, a character we can, we'll talk about with the next article, Halcyon. who Halcyon, who was sick. Well, sorry they. Her husband fell ill. She well, brought him her to fell. Halcyon. Yeah, yeah, brought him to Halcyon. Halcyon is the location. <laughs> yeah, and so Glacion, yeah, Glacion is the her husband, and so then that led to Yagmuth becoming the Yagmuth that we know of. Um, but it was it's so it's cool to see her and Glacion actually, and again with that whole partner thing where you can have a deck where those two are partners. Yep. And her flavor text is a quote about her from her husband. And also what's cool, too, is um, just for us, uh, when we had Reinhardt on here, we talked about possibilities for potential for, like, future sci-fi-ish worlds. And one of them was, like, Thran Outpost, like the last outpost. And kind of these worlds, like you said, that have no concept of colored mana in some ways and are so artifact-driven. That could be our end for sci-fi. Yeah. And... I guess I said we could talk about the spark with this one. It was actually Glaceon. Okay. Glaceon had a spark that... Okay, we'll wait till next time then. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But she was part of kind of how that thing came to Urzan accident. So the next character in here is the purest example of power creep that we have ever seen in the game of Magic. I would would actually argue that, but let's let's talk about it. So (laughs) so Rograk, son of Rohak. Roga. 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 Yeah. A's and H's look similar sometimes when you're tired, apparently. But first of all, I just think it's really fun that every so often we check back in on the Cobalts. With, yes. Well, that's my point, right? <laughs> because so we go back to Legends and they, I think they'd had goblins in Alpha and in like D&D terms, Cobalts by and large are weaker than goblins. <laughs> like how do we have something weaker than, than a 1-1? One, one, one. For one, I know yeah. we have a zero one for zero. Yes. So there was a bunch of kobolds. There's like four or five different named cards that were all zero one for for zero. Yep. Uh, Crimson, Crookshank, and Kobolds of Care Keep. And we yep. also get a Care Keep card later on in Time Spiral. Time Spiral. That lets <laughs> us make zero one kobolds. Co- well, yes, yeah, specifically reference like, and they have the same name as the Kobolds of Care Keep. Or, no, or is that? Uh, and maybe that's Prosh as well. Because then when we had we got Commander Dex, Commander 2013, we got Prosh, who is hanging out in Kirkeep. And that's also a piece of D&D. Like, kobolds tend to, like, worship uh, dragons. dragons. And why this is interesting and why we joke about power creep is now we've now, like, we check, like you said, we check into them every, like, five to ten years, I guess, if that. Um but th- there actually was a story, like there's flavor text um, related to kind of the, the, a leader ab- among them. And the best way to be like his god was to become one with himself. And he was basically a zero-one 
tyrant demanding tribute. Yeah. Well, and I love Robotech's strength is relative. Right. And so his his son like leads an uprising. And so this is where our power creep comes in. We now have a zero one for zero with first strike menace and trample. Well, also keep in mind though, one of the facets of this card is it is legendary. Yes. All of the other zero ones are not. And we tend to forget this because legendary is a benefit to commander. Yes. Legendary mechanically is actually a restriction on cards. It allows them to push <laughs> power of the cards because you can only have one in, in play at a time. <laughs> and so apparently that gave them enough that they could add three mechanics. To, I, mean, I think a part of that is because all three of them don't actually matter with his native power of zero. <laughs> well, and that native power, I think, is the best way. And you said strength is relative because yeah. there is just... This is a commander that it's you can so build around in multiple different directions. So I do want to refer, I do want to make sure we don't lose this too. Yes. So Roga of yep. Kirkheap is a kobold lord, legendary creature from Legends, by yes, the way. It does. It, he actually did have a card. also. Oh my god, I didn't even notice this. So it doesn't just give, it doesn't just buff kobolds. It specifically buffs creatures you control named kobolds of the Kirkheap. Which so is one reason I think that they gave the it. From that set. Well, I think that's one of the reasons too that the future versions of it have made those tokens. You're, you, yeah, you're right. And so it, it's great. Uh, the reason I want to bring this up is partner um, mechanic, right? Yep. Also you know, could be used in a deck with something like Odric, where all of these abilities, if, a, if one creature has this ability, all your creatures have this ability. Mm -hmm. And um, also the new Acroma, which we will talk about on next episode, yeah. has partner. And you could drop the Acroma and this on the same turn. <laughs> and then these are all keywords that give your other creatures buffs. You basically could drop this and all of your creatures would now be getting plus three, plus three. I I think he gets three three. Whether well, that acroma works, but there's oh, other ways. There, oh, other, right. Odric would be the way to give it give Odric the abilities to everybody, which is just fantastic. Yep. So, yeah. uh, okay, a few more that we do need to get through. Oh man, we just uh, yeah. Gosh, why yes. do we have to go alphabetical? Uh, we're on Sengir. We're on Sengir, and we need to talk about Sengir because a Sengir. The Dark Baron is a is a new version. Like Baron Sengir was a card from Homelands, widely considered the worst design set in Magic's history, but also had some really good story. Uh, took place on the plane of Ulgrotha, a plane that Joe wanted us, has wanted Magic to go back to for a while. So it's fun that we're getting a reference to that here. But uh, one of the big things I wanted to reference, well, really two story points here. He's a nice long thing where he's talking about. You know, is a vampire lord um, that is told, told excuse me, prom figures prominently in tales told to children on a number of planes. Mm -hmm. Though not a planeswalker himself, the Baron once served as a summoned thrall to powerful planeswalkers. So I want, like, that, first of all, is an incredibly cool and kind of significant piece of story. Because the whole point of this game is that the people who are playing are planeswalkers and we are summoning creatures to, to do battle. And this is very specifically placing that as a story beat for a character, that this character was part of that, that in his youth, 
he was called by other by powerful beings to serve. But also that reference, he says, oh, in ancient Dominaria, his minions were said to have drained the blood of entire continents. That reference is the fact that Sengir Vampire was in Alpha, like this, like Sarah Angel. Before Magic even had story, they put Sengir Vampire in there, just gave it a name, and Sengir then, Vampire. And what's been interesting, as you kind of said, is that retroactively, that set has basically been considered to be on Dominaria. Yeah. Um, well... That, well, that ish. Alpha, yeah, yeah. Alpha. And, and and yet we now have Damon Homelands, which did not take place. No, did not take place in Dominaria. That's this whole like him being summoned there and then begetting a whole flight of, you know, I don't know if flight is the right term, but begetting a family of vampires on Dominaria in his own line on a plane that was not his plane is cool story that kind of I think was used to fill in that gap. And, and and we also have here too um, something that is the foreshadowing, right? Yes, yes. There's a foreshadowing here too. Um, one of the things about the way the magic story has been going is we we have kind of these continuous storylines now. Now it's it's structured, and we talked about this in a previous episode where their story is working more like a comic book than say a novel in a novel or even a series of novels. You can kind of have an arc that completes and concludes, and it's done. But this, we have sets coming out all year long, multiple sets every year. This story kind of needs to continuously move. And so it's a little more comic booky where they have this story that continuously moves, but you can kind of tell it in discrete chunks as well, which helps. That's why, you know, we had the Ikoria. We had, we went there for kind of a one off story that introduced some characters like Luca that could go on to do more story. Well, we have kind of there were three major threats they introduced as they sort of transitioned the story into this into this mode, and two of them have mostly been dealt with: Nicole Bolas and the Eldrazi. Now, neither one of them is gone. That's also kind of comic books. You don't ever no, get you, rid of yeah. Them. It's sci-fi in general and fantasy in general. Like even if yeah. you see a body, it used to be like if you didn't see a body, they're not dead. Particularly now, in this this storytelling yeah. mode. I mean. By yeah, and it's large, more it's more comic booky. There are other media that tell stories in this way, which is why I like to call it like a continuous storytelling or continuous storyline, because it's not just comic books. That's just the most prominent example of where it's common. Um, but so what they did here is it looks like they're setting up Sengir as a potential threat, probably on a smaller scale, because it said the Baron was last seen at the head of an army of vampires walking through the mysterious Dwarven Gate, a portal to another plane in the dungeons of his castle on the eve of the Great Mending. Which, so A, mending. it's interesting right. that yeah. he did it the eve of the Great Mending. It's like he knew that that was happening. Um, because that's when basically planar portals stopped working. The Mending made it so these stopped these devices from working. And so now we have... Well, he's a vampire noble, which is kind of fun because he's a bear. But so now we have Baron Sengir and an army of vampires somewhere. And so this is probably like probably not an interplanar threat, but this is could this could be a major story beat for, you know, a discrete chunk where the gatewatch needs to help or some 
one or two known characters stumble upon this plane that has been, I mean, at this point, the great mending was what, like 80 years ago. So now this is a potential story beat um, to kind of come back to, and, and probably not a big interplanar multiple block sort of multiple world threat, but this is the sort of thing that they could tell a discrete story with either the Gatewatch or some of the known named planeswalkers that we have stumble upon this plane that had an invasion of vampires you know, 70, 80 years before. And, and so like, it's, it's cool that they're kind of setting this up. And it's also a fun reference back to old growth, a plane that we may never actually go to, especially if they have Sinkir, they have the most, one of the most interesting characters leave that plane. Well, and the last thing I want to do is, it, before we move on from Sangir, is just mention too that there are, you know, a lot of this has been multiple arts on. This is actually one that there's three. Well, there's there's like a, a full bordered kind of one with like story implications. Like you'll see, there's multiple. But more importantly, there's an alt art version that is Pete Venters, who did, they brought Pete Venters back to do Sangir because he had drawn Sangir in the past. And so they brought like it was like one of these things like he had done the original baron sangir and like they actually like sought him out and asked him to come back to do this art yeah and which that's is just really cool. awesome i want to talk about siana siani very quickly so this siani is from tarkir and the storyline is references um in tarkir's original timeline yes and so i just want to reference that real quick and there's actually this shows up in the other article too they have a legend from tarkir's original timeline if i remember correctly and, and also for, for me is that she this is somebody that we get as a quote-unquote potential now it is a trance-like state so it's a little different than mm. what i would like to fully discuss moving forward um on an episode but she hears voices Mm, yes now it is the voices of the ancient dragons and there may be so but it is a voice hearer and we only have a few of those yeah um but you know and like sorry dropping my pen as i'm gesticulating very passionately you do Uh, tap you do tap quite a bit uh, when you're making points (laughs) so anyway in so this whole thing about tarkir's original story uh, original timeline because Tarkir was the wedge set. So, so Tarkir was three color set taking one color and its two enemies. And it was, it was a set we'd been waiting for a while because of, of uh, Alara was the wedges, which is a color and its two allies. And so like it was from a gameplay standpoint, really cool to have these multicolor set multicolor cards to fill in this three color gap to get us more legends for those because that color pair had very few for commander. Um, but the storyline was also a lot more interesting. So then they did this whole thing where there was these five warring clans, the dragons were all dead. <clears throat> then they went back in time. Uh, our uh, our good friend Sarkin did a Marty McFly. He went back in time, accidentally prevented Ugin from being killed. And then he comes forward in time and the whole timeline is different and the dragons are around and we don't have three colors anymore. It's two colored allied pairs, which we've had a lot. Mechanically, it was less interesting. And so um, Mark Rosewater's talked about that where he said that the world before the timeline kind of has has more audience 
um, interest and more audience resonance than the world after, which kind of sucks because the world after is what they have now in story. Well, or or something like this. But then right? it, yeah. But this is why this sort of 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 building of characters and and, and story and cards and and sets like this is so great because it allows them to go back to that original timeline and to and to create cards that kind of fit that. Yep. So um, I want to mention Tevesh Zat, Doom of Fools, because this is another Planeswalker. Um, the reason that we bring this up is because, uh, you know, there's this whole storyline that this has actually been really involved with Urza again um, and the Phyrexian invasion, because basically Urza, like this, Tevesh Zat was not good. Once his sister died, he became a, you know, he was like, he basically was an ancient planeswalker. He reshaped his body into a dragon, made it his mission to silence all life. And like, he is evil, right? Like, I mean, he's yeah, like, he was a major kill. He killed one of the elder dragons. Yeah. And in, in, um, in the ice age, like yep. his, he was a major fact, a force of badness, like a major force of, of killing and, and so, and, Pain. We know this about him. Everybody knows this about him. And then Urza inducts him into the Nine Titans, which is a group of planeswalkers that were dedicated to defeating the Phyrexians. And then Tevesh Zat betrays the Titans and murdered two of their number before Urza. And this is my favorite line. Yes. Having anticipated the betrayal, killed him, and then used his S's to power the soul bombs that the Titans okay. used against Phyrexia. This, if this is not... understates how bad. Oh, God. This because, is like the ends justify the means, and I am going to set up a morally gray area where I didn't do it, but I knew it was going to happen, so that I them am justified to yeah. do this horrible it thing. Was, it was not even having anticipated, you know, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Like, he didn't just anticipate this. Urza planned for it. His yeah. plan wouldn't have worked if Tevish Zat hadn't betrayed them. And killed other Blainswalkers, but it's yeah. okay because Urza literally wanted him to betray them and kill another planeswalker so that he could justify taking his essence to, yeah. or his soul to to power, power bombs. Pop, bombs to blow up Phyrexia. Yeah. And like when like some of the other planeswalkers asked were like, you know, confronting Urza about this. And I believe in this it's been over a decade since I read these books, but I I remember I, I want to say he actually worded it something like his betrayal. He betrayed us immortals and killed us. That makes his betrayal greater than a mortal, uh, um, not betrayal, but greater than a mortal crime. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, it's an immortal crime. Therefore, using his soul to power these bombs is a justified I punishment. And on top of this, it didn't work. Like, it, yes, right. like he saved the plane, but Phyrexians are still around. <laughs> like, He's just such a bad person. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a couple more here. Prismatic Piper is interesting because they did give at least a little bit of kind of a... Um, yeah. So Prismatic Piper is a card that was designed specifically for gameplay. Uh, yeah. The idea being that if you draft the set and you somehow don't end up with a legend, you can use two Prismatic Pipers... Yeah, or you right. use or one. You one. Prismatic Piper is a Commander, legend you, yes, who is and, colorless, but you choose a color before the game begins, and it is that color. And so and it's it has done for just 
and it's common specifically for uh, gameplay yeah it just means that you can always make sure you can draft what you want to draft because if you get you know you start with ramirez early on and then you start drafting and then you end up in a different color but you never get a green legend you can can take a prismatic piper and go green blue and you don't even have to draft it like yeah yeah, because it's Cause common. Well, no, no, I, like you could just have one. No, I think you have to pick it, but they're common. So oh, okay. They're, the okay. the the point is that you'll get one if you need one. Kind okay. of but either way, they actually did kind of give it this like it a, has a little bit of a research behind it. If across yeah. the multiverse, Re- yeah, it's it's kind of neat that you know have found across the multiverse in moments of great need, magic users have found themselves able to cast spells unlike any they've ever cast before. And then when the danger passes, it disappears without a trace, which is a really neat way to storify this very directly mechanically driven yes. card. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like this idea, too, that it, it references back to kind of like the Piper, like the Pied Piper. It brings mm-hmm. it. It's like a flute. You get that ability, and then it's like gone once it's moved on. Once that need so, has passed. Yeah. So we get your lock. Um, your lock is a... Um, Jund variant that the reason that I think it that it is fun is actually less to do with story and more to do with the fact that it temporarily at least brings back mana burn. Mana burn, I have that. Right. Yep, mana burn. You can give your opponents, you can give every player Any mana, player. and if yeah. you don't have, if if you move to a phase and the unspent mana is there, you lose life. So yes. that's great. Um, and then Zara, who is a, another pirate, um, and you know another. Now this is actually a airship pirate from Kaladesh. So there is yes. kind of a cool element to it that these are pirates that and are that, not as tied to Ixalan. Yep, and that was cool where we got Kaladesh before Ixalan. So they kind of introduced some more pirates before the pirate set. Because so that, that was one of the problems with Kamigawa going back to that. There was a lot of tribal elements there, but there were tribal elements for creature types that had never shown up in any other set. Mm-hmm. So the only way to make, take advantage of all of these samurai things was to play just the samurai from Kamigawa. Which, right. Once again, in, you know, once you're coming off the heels of and, um, Ravica. So it, and, even from a yeah. casual standpoint, it was hard to use that set to do anything with your random cards that you had laying around. So this is they're, they're much more cognizant of that now. It's like, okay, we'll have pirates in one set as kind of a little extra side thing where they just happen to have some sky pirates because it's cool and it's the story in the world. But now those sky pirates synergize mechanically with story driven, with story driven pirates from, from Ixalan. Awesome. So this is, this was part one, you know, we, we, we talked for almost over an hour and a half because these are involved and we want to talk about the fact that we are choosing to return to story because we said we would talk about it when there is a reason. And this, is a reason and we do want to do part two just dropped we're planning on doing that soon also yep so thank you all for joining us for today um i will always also want to give a reminder go check out uh the kickstarter for the grinding coffee company so we are part of the grinders gang um so that's you can use a code at the if you go to our twitter we have links to it um but it will get you discount on coffee they are a black-owned, LGBT-run uh, coffee company that is expanding, and they are so they, they were designed with this idea of 
being a coffee company for gamers and to really support uh, gamers of color and gamers who are committed to social justice. So th we have partnered with them and we just really want to give them a shout out because they have a Kickstarter going right now. So we'll see you all later. And that's our show for today. You can find the hosts on Twitter. HotsQ can be found at HotsQ and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmite, the cast can be found at patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>